Hi guys, good morning on this Saturday morning. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to talk about the narrow gate today. Amen? The narrow gate. What is the narrow gate that Jesus talked about? That's what we need to know. Jesus said to, to enter in by the narrow gate if we're seeking life. Why did he seemingly discourage people from becoming Christians? What makes that gate so narrow? Does anybody know at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there were thousands of disciples that chased after him as he, just like as if, if he was a celebrity. But then after his death, that number dwindled only down to a, a few hundred. See Acts chapter 1 verse 15. So these disciples, they quickly learned that being a Christian was not a walk in the park for sure. Following in the footsteps of our Savior means so much more than just giving your heart to the Lord. It often means making difficult choices. It means doing difficult things. Jesus warned his disciples about this while he was still alive. He told them, he said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by that way because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few, he said, that find it. So the narrow gate is fairly straightforward concept. A narrow gate is is harder to pass through than one one that is a wide gate. And, And not only that, only a few people can go through the gate at once. So Jesus was describing the pathway to life, true eternal life as something requiring effort, something requiring focus to enter in. Only a relatively small number of people ever even set foot on this path. But getting onto the path is only the first step because when he said difficult is the way which leads to life, Jesus was explaining how hard being a Christian really is. And that's not always told to us when we first come to the Lord, but difficult is the way. Difficult is is from the word phlebo, which means to press as grapes or to press hard upon a compressed way, a narrow, straightened, contracted way. Metaphorically, the word can, can also mean to It can mean to trouble, to afflict, to distress. So if Jesus wanted to draw people to follow him, why did he tell prospective disciples that that doing so would bring them grief? Would doing so would be hard. It would be difficult. To understand what he meant, let's just look at a few of the scriptures where he seemingly discouraged people from following him. Because Luke writes of of three encounters that Jesus had with would-be Christians as he and his disciples were traveling. And each of these categories or each of these encounters offers insight into what makes the gate so narrow and what makes the, the way so difficult. One of the would-be followers uh, made a dramatic statement of commitment saying to Christ, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That was said in Luke chapter 9, verse 17. 
Well, Jesus didn't reply to him, Wonderful, please come and join us. No, instead he said something like that. At at the least, would you have caused the man to have second thoughts and at the most would have turned him completely away. And this is what Jesus said that, that could have turned him easily away. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 58. So Jesus was conveying the truth of the uncertainty that could accompany, could accompany the life of a true Christian. So to follow Christ, we must be willing to accept a certain amount of volatility in our lives, knowing that we will remain living in the world without remaining part of the world. And then in Luke's um, book, he continues with Jesus turning to another person and telling him, follow me in verse 59. And the man begged off asking that he he be allowed to go first bury his father. Well, you know what? Since Jewish custom was to bury the dead as soon as possible, it's it's really unlikely that the man was out with the crowd around Jesus with the dead father at home. More likely, the man was asking to spend whatever remaining time that he had left, that he might be able to spend it with his aging or perhaps ill father, which was an open-ended re- request actually but the record in Luke has Jesus responding to this man's excuse and he said let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of God verse 60 so obviously dead people do not bury anyone here Jesus was referring to those who were spiritually dead people who had not responded to his teaching. So Jesus was telling the potential Christian, potential Christian, that his calling was infinitely more important. So the same is true for us today. We can't dedicate ourselves to follow Christ if we keep putting vague, open-ended priorities in front of our calling. And we do it all the time. Then a third man who was committed to becoming a disciple, he made a seemingly reasonable request to first return to home to, to his home to say goodbye to whoever was at his house in verse 61. It's actually unclear who these people were, whether they were family or whether they were just guests. But to this person, Jesus responds and he says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He said that in verse 62. So we cannot know with certainty what this person may not have been. As as committed as his words make it sound, he might not have been. Jesus knew his heart, though, and he saw it necessary to remind the man that looking back was not an option. And then the Bible records what we need to know here to understand the main point that all three of these Responses add clarity to Christ's teaching that narrow is the gate. And then in this third example, the added lesson was that Christians must continue to 
keep their eyes on the goal, God's kingdom. That's the goal. An experienced plowman, say, would immediately recognize the point of this analogy because when plowing, the farmer fixes his eyes on a rock or on a hill or some other marker so that he will plow straight furrows. So, although farmers farmers with vast fields today, you know, they often use GPS equipment and that type of thing to accomplish this, but the principle remains the same. A few chapters later, we find another insightful account about what we must do to become followers of Jesus. With a, a huge number of people crowding around to hear Jesus' every word, he gave more examples, not of how easy it is to give your heart to the Lord, but how heavy the obligation of becoming a Christian is. You know, it's time people stood up and said the truth. He, Jesus went on to say, you must hate your mother and father in Luke 14, verse 26. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. And this instruction seems really strange until we understand the meaning of the original language. Because in the New King James Study Bible, it explains to hate one's family and even one's life is rhetorical. It refers to desiring something less than something else. This is what Jesus was saying. So a Christian's love for, for living God's way of life has to be greater than the love that he or she has for any human relationship, as well as for himself or herself. So in other words, a Christian's love for living God's way of life has to be greater than the love that he has for his family, for human relationship, as well as for himself or herself. So even clarified, the statement is rather unexpected, and it becomes a narrow gate itself as we evaluate our most important relationships. Evaluate them. You've got to love him more. You've got to be willing to serve him more. And then you've got to overcome and endure trials. So the next example was extremely graphic where Jesus said, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So to bear a cross in the Roman world was a death sentence because after you were done carrying it, wherever it needed to go, you would be nailed to it and die on it. So these words carry all the more weight when we consider that when Jesus said this, he was well aware that very soon he would be bearing his own literal cross. The Son of God would die the death of a common criminal. Well, just as uh, commanded or condemned, excuse me, criminals were made to carry the crosses upon which they would be executed. So we must be willing to endure. We must be willing to overcome whatever trials we might face as Christians. These trials are not optional for us and they're not unexpected. They are as certain as the ultimate fate 
of someone bearing a cross. This is the narrow gate indeed. So you've got to count the cost. So next Jesus spoke of the construction uh, of a construction project. He pointed out that any uh, responsible builder would consider the cost of the entire project from, from start to finish. And then he would make sure that he had the necessary funding to complete the project before he would even start it. So beginning a construction project project without considering funding could result in an abandoned, partially completed building, uh, a visual symbol of the builder's lack of judgment. See verses 28 through 30. So this principle can also be applied to the narrow gate of becoming a Christian. We need under, we need to understand the cost, which is not very much or very often t- spoke about in church. It's not very often taught to us in church, but we need to understand the cost. We need to understand the challenges. We need to understand there are hardships and that that are, are sure to come when we begin living God's way of life. If we enter onto the difficult path expecting only clear skies and happiness and joy and peace, we risk running out of steam when we have to deal with the challenging days that are sure to come at some point. So Jesus wants us to have a realistic view of what's ahead, not an impossible, optimistic one. Then we need to consider our resources. So then Jesus gives an illustration about going to war. And Jesus said that a king or, or a general even in an army counts his troops before engaging an enemy. He wants to know in advance that victory is possible. If he doesn't have sufficient resources to win, he makes peace instead of going to war. See verses 31 through 32. As for Christians, our battles are spiritual in nature. In reality, it is impossible for us to win this war by ourselves. So upon becoming a Christian, we'll need the help of God's Spirit. We'll need the help of Holy Spirit to achieve victory against overwhelming odds. As for Christians, our battles are spiritual in nature. And upon becoming a Christian, we'll need the help of God. We need His Holy Spirit to help us to achieve victory against that which is can which and can be and sometimes is overwhelming but armed with that power we can expect victory and the narrow gate becomes worth entering so you must forsake all that you have you must forsake all that you have you must give yourself a hundred percent you must be willing to lay down a hundred percent of all you are or will ever be His teaching on this occasion, Jesus said, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. You cannot be his disciple if you're not willing to forsake all. So the lesson here is that in order to to truly follow Christ, this must become the most important thing in our lives. We must be willing to lose literally everything else in our lives before letting go of our discipleship. Why would Jesus tell people that unless they met these undeniable, stringent, 
standards that they could not become his disciples or they could not become Christians because the gate is narrow and the pathway is difficult. Jesus wanted to make that perfectly clear to anyone considering following him. If you read in the Bible, you see how many fell away when the time came of a time of persecution. So this narrow gate, it's designed for quality. It's not designed for quantity. So after some insightful messages of Jesus' teaching on becoming a Christian, is found in John 6, 25 through 66. This scripture is a, compo- a composite of interactions with a variety of people. Some wanted Jesus to repeat the miracle of, of producing food. Some were in audiences of synagogues at which Jesus spoke, and some were Jewish leaders critical of Jesus. But you know what? Jesus began talking about physical manna and then explained that he was the true manna and that the way to salvation was by eating my flesh and drinking my blood, verse 53 through 56. And not understanding that, he was talking about the Passover symbols of bread and wine, which represented his flesh. They did not understand. It represented his flesh. It represented his blood. But many people were abruptly stopped in following him. See verse 66. And then on the surface, it again appears that Jesus, he, his approach seemed illogical because his words did not entice people to join him. Listen to me, friends. His words did not entice people to join him. Clearly, Jesus did not want just numbers like we do sometimes. Clearly, he did not just want numbers. He he wanted all who became his disciples, students or learners and members of the spiritual body called in Scripture, the church of God, Acts 20, verse 28, to make it through to the end. He wanted them to make it. They needed to know that they would encounter the most difficult challenges of their lives, that he would have he would have actually been irresponsible had he failed to prepare the disciples, but he didn't. He did not fail to prepare any of us. We fail to read the Bible ourselves and ask the Lord for understanding. By analogy, failing to counsel them on the challenges they would face if they became Christians would be like taking a group of avenging, or, or of excuse me, a group of average citizens and sending them out into a military mention, uh, mission meant for, say, an expert team such as the Navy SEALs. Wouldn't that be cruel? So without proper training, the people wouldn't li- not likely survive such a mission, and it would be disastrous for the mission itself. God wants all of us to achieve our potential. He wants Christians to understand the serious nature of their commitment to follow him. Jesus never leaves those who commit to enter the narrow gate. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. And of course, God gave other counsel besides warnings about the challenge of becoming a Christian. He also promised those who did commit to his way of life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5. 
So the King James Study Bible comments, this, this quotation is one of the most emphatic statements in the New Testament. In Greek, it contains two double negatives, similar to saying in the English, I will never, never, ever, ever forsake you. Jesus uses the same technique to express the certainty of eternal life for believers. See John 10, 28. You you may have heard the military saying, never leave a man behind. Similarly, the Father and the Son are fully committed to those who respond to God's calling. Jesus made a similar promise after his resurrection, promising he would be with the church members. He would be with his followers always and forever, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So what path are you choosing? So, so why would anyone choose the narrow gate? Symbolizing the way Christians must live when it's such a difficult path compared to the smooth, easy way of the world. You know, on hikes, when you go on a hike, there's often adventures, there's thrills, there's, there's vistas, there's uh, available only to those who take the different path. The difficult path. The difficult way brings rewards that those who remain on the smooth and the easy way will never know. Similarly, the experience of being in God's church, in God's, uh, I I almost don't want to call it a church, but those that are following Christ is incomparable, incomparably rewarding to those who are called of God. They become part of the family of God now. They serve in his work. They are energized by interacting with people of like mind. They are energized by interacting with Holy Spirit. They are, they are edified. They anticipate reigning with Christ in the coming kingdom of God. They deeply appreciate being led by the Holy Spirit. And they understand that godliness has benefits for the life that now is and that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4 and 8. So which way are you choosing? Look at your level of commitment. I see ministers that are not even committed. How have you committed? Which, which you can judge yourself by how much you put into practice what you know God would have you to do. Judge your life. Look at your life. Ask the Lord to look at your life. Search me and know me. See, Lord, if there be any wicked way in me. Let me ask you, would the narrow gate describe the way that you're choosing to live? Is that the gate that you walk through? Or are you choosing the smooth way? Are you choosing the way that meets the least resistance? Because that is not the way of eternal life. That is the way to eternal death. Everybody that's on the wide road that leads to destruction... Excuse me, it leads to destruction. So now the call goes out and God is calling from the four corners of the earth for people to come. He said, choose life. What have you chosen today? What have you chosen today? Did you walk through that that narrow gate? Are you yet going to walk through that narrow gate? In saying that, I'm going to close. And my prayers are for you, not against you. I love you. And I'm praying for each and every one of you to walk through the narrow gate. 
I'm praying for ministers everywhere to be corrected for their sin, for their lack of compassion for the people, for their deception, for them not telling the truth in the pulpits. I bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you.